Welcome to another Cleverly Changing Podcast. This is episode 18. Thank you so much for listening in to our podcast week after week. If this is your first time listening to the Cleverly Changing Podcast, I am one of the hosts, Elle, and the Cleverly Changing Podcast is an educational podcast for parents who are looking to supplement their children's learning. We do this podcast from a homeschool perspective because my co-host and I are both homeschooling moms, but this podcast isn't unique to the homeschool experience. It's for any parent who wants to supplement their child's education. We also want you to share this podcast with others. If you could leave us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, please remember to follow us on SoundCloud if that's how you listen and rate this podcast in on whichever platform you're listening to us on. We thank you for letting other people know about the Cleverly Changing podcast. And if you have questions or topics that you want us to cover, please remember to leave a comment in the comment section. You can do so on one of our social media platforms. That's Cleverly Changing on Instagram and on Facebook. Or you can find us on Twitter at Cleverly Changing. That's C-L-E-V-E-R-L-Y-C-H-A-N-G-I-N on Twitter. Also, you can send us an email at cleverlychanging at gmail.com. Again, that's cleverlychanging at gmail.com. Our African proverb for today comes from a Hema proverb, and it says, Wisdom is like fire. People take it from others. Again, wisdom is like fire. People take it from others. It's now time for the word of the episode. Shule means school in Swahili. This is Cleverly Poacher Kids! Today we are talking about homeschooling and we have the girls here and they're going to be giving us our opinions, their opinions on several questions. All right. So our first question is when it comes to homeschooling and the different classes that you guys are taking. So it's been several weeks. Amira, you started your um, elective class which is the class that you take with the co-op. Can you tell us um, what you've liked about the co-op so far this year? Uh, um, I don't like it. <laughs> okay, it's so tell us what you don't like about it. Everything. Like, I have to write an essay every week, and I don't want to do that as well as a in-class project that if we don't finish, and oh well. Okay. But didn't you tell your mama that you were thoroughly enjoying the learning of the countries 
and the Capitals and that you were excited that you were up to, I think you said 17? Is that how many you got to by remembering on your own? 14. 17. Okay. What about that part? That part's okay. I, I just don't like that I say that I have to do every week with then class assignment because that's just extra homework. And ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> okay. getting <laughs> All right. So our next question is, now that you've been in your co-op a little bit longer, what have you, you've done some projects, which has been your favorite project so far? We've done two projects. Um, uh, well, we have assigned some projects. There's like two different things. Yeah, we have two projects. We finished them. I don't. I didn't really like either of them. Can you say what the projects were? One, we had to write a paper, and then the other one. You had to write a paper about what? Math. We you had to write a paper about our history of math. So it was a math autobiography, and it asked you some questions about math? Yeah. Um, the other one was, um, I guess that was the only one, I think. There's, like, assignments and projects. I'm not sure if you there's like. There's assignments that we have to do every class. You also had a project in sewing that you completed. Oh. And we'll put a picture of it in our showing our show notes. What did you make? We made a pillowcase. And what was well, your I I um I made a pillowcase. Mine? You have to speak up. I made a pillowcase. Maya has almost finished. So I'm actually, with sewing, I'm actually on my third project. I've done an apron, I've done a dress, and right now I am on a shirt, and I'm actually almost done with that. All right, so do you like the three projects you've created in sewing? Yes, I do. Which one have you liked the most? The shirt, because I kind of need more shirts. <laughs> actually no the dress I need more dresses I barely have them I have like two of them that I can actually wear alright Welcome to another Cleverly Changing Podcast. This is episode 17. Can you imagine? It's been 17 whole episodes where we're talking about educating our babies. So I am Elle and this is Miriam. So we are in the grown folks section of our podcast. And today we have some questions that we want to answer we sent out a request for questions and thankfully, thank you to everyone who replied back. We are going to try to answer some questions each week. And so today we're gonna to do five of those questions and we're gonna get started now. So thank you to everyone who responded. If you have questions in the future, you can 
send us a question on social media at Cleverly Changing, or you can send us an email at cleverlychanging at gmail.com. That's C-L-E-V-E-R-L-Y-C-H-A-N-G-I-N-G at gmail.com. And in the subject line, put podcast questions. All right, Miriam, can you tell us the first question? Okay, so the first question we have is, how do you pick the right curriculum or do you create your own? That's a common question. You, I say you pick according to your child. There are literally thousands and thousands to choose from. So you kind of just have to go on the hunt. You can ask friends and family. You can ask people in homeschool groups if you are a member of any. If not, join one so you can ask and you'll get some suggestions and you can look into them and see if it is a good fit for you or not. That's how I come across curriculum when I decide to use them. I type in the search engine. I will say that it may be beneficial to get off of Google and try something different like DuckDuckGo as censorship is really taking hold and you may find it difficult to find something in the first page or two, you know. Right. And I would say if you are a secular homeschooler, you will need to look in different places. So if you're looking for a Christian curriculum, some of the popular ones are My Father's World. Um, Abeka is a popular one. And I think those are probably the two main. I, there's one called Life. Oh my gosh. It's Life with Fred. Life with Fred. That's Life with Fred is math, but there's another one that's a box curriculum. Um, I think it's, it's something about life. I can't think of the name, but what we want you to do, we'll put a list of um, curriculum, secular and non secular, in our show notes. So right now I can't think all of all of them off the top of my head, but I will say what we do, we do a little bit of both. So we create some of our own. And when we say we create our own, that means we go online, sometimes Pinterest, sometimes in other places like, um, like worksheets and just in different places. So we, we get a combination of materials from different places. We didn't just say, hey, I like Abeka's curriculum. Let me buy Abeka. Or I like Apologia's curriculum. Let me buy this. But I know we mentioned in our earlier podcast this season that you're doing some online curriculums. Yeah, well, I do secular curriculum. So um, I found it a little more difficult to find things that were um, what I was looking for. But we have currently Blossom and Root and um, Funcation Academy. Those are the two that I'm using. I also have Math Mammoth and um, Reading Eggs and brain pop. <laughs> so it's a amalgamation of items. So really it all depends on, you know, what your children are interested in and the types of learning 
sequences they kind of fall into. Right. And so if you, I know some people use um, K-12 and K-12 is actually a public school that you can do from home. So all areas don't have access to it. Certain states do have access to it where your public school dollars will go into that curriculum and they will send you the materials you need and your kid will actually have an instructor that is within the system that you and that you communicate with. Um, I know for, I had two people that I know that used it and they said it was very rigorous because they had to show, they didn't feel like they had a lot of autonomy. So if you are a person who thrives on structure, that is a secular curriculum that um, I believe they even pay for like internet if that's, you know, oh. yeah. So they give you a computer, like that's everything nice. you will need paper, like for your art lessons, everything they supplied it, but you do have to do things according to their timeline. You do have to meet with the instructors like via some type of online software because I haven't actually done it. I can't be specific about it, but those that did it that I know, um, some of them liked it because they needed, they felt like they needed that structure and it was pushing their kid. Um, for others, they wanted more autonomy and they felt like they weren't really homeschooling because it was somebody else that was in charge. That was my question. If you're looking for home instruction where you're, you the parents are providing the, the due dates and all that sort of thing, then wouldn't K-12 kind of be defeating that if indeed they're working with a teacher it's like it's school, like real yeah. school traditional school but at home right if you're looking for a traditional school at home i guess that's great but if you're not looking to recreate the model of traditional school then it will you, be a problem yeah and i'm gonna guess these folks don't live where we live right they okay don't. so <laughs> if you're well, listening to this podcast we are in Maryland, and in Maryland, you actually have to pay to use uh, K-12, so... Oh, you can pay for it now? I thought we couldn't use it at all, oh, because you can still according use to it. Comar, you have to... You just have to providing. pay. You just have to pay. It, you would sign... You wouldn't really be a home educator. You would be... It would be a private school. That's oh. what it would be for your kid, because it is real mm. instruction. It's just it would be classified as a private school, so... I had a friend who did it in DC. DC is not that far away. Yeah, but well, they allow is, them. Yeah. They do. They do allow it and it's available. So that is one of the options that is available. Now, for those who are starting out, I know that's why some people they're like, man, this is a you know a large um, undertaking. And mm -hmm. so by using K-12, it actually gave them, they felt like they could enter it and so once they felt comfortable then they kind of no longer did k-12 and they kind of did their own thing so that is an option um i also wanted to say that with your different curriculums don't just buy a box curriculum and say hey we're going to do all of this because what happens is yes the overachiever in you wants <laughs> to have all that material before you start school so that you can get acclimated with it which is awesome but what many of us homeschoolers have learned is just because uh one 
brand has put together curriculum doesn't mean that that was a good fit for your child. Mm -hmm. So maybe the English should be a good fit and not the math or maybe the reading and not, you know, something else. So it's not a really a one size fits all. Now, if you want to make it one, that's totally fine, totally up to you. But what has happened is in theory and in many of our own experiences, that one size fits all model did not work and it wasn't really what we wanted for our homeschool. So I don't recommend people just buy a box curriculum. I say take a little of this and a little of that. And when you're first starting out, I recommend that you you try different ones. Yeah. So um, you know, just take some you want to get started, but you need to know, you know, is my child what type of learner is my child? And we do have a podcast about that. I think it's either one or two, um, but it talks about learning styles. There are curriculums based on your child's learning style. And I Mm -hmm. think that is very important, especially when starting out. If you are, if you have a kindergarten, first grader, don't be so heavy on the curriculum. Definitely teach your child, but the best teacher is through experience Mm -hmm. and, and life, you know, make your home a living, um, kind of a, a field of knowledge where maybe you label things in the house and you you talk about them you want to really go into depth with describing things yeah go Be- outside go outside so stuff blue the Make sky is blue <laughs> You know, the grass is green. So let the earth be your playground. And, you know, especially in those early years, don't be so heavy on book work because that can burn your kids out. Quickly. (laughs) Yeah. And it it can make you frustrated because they don't want to sit there and do that work. Yeah. Then you're frustrated. They're frustrated. Nobody's happy. That stinks. But, you know, honestly, you're going to have days like that, whether you're doing the greatest thing in the world or not. Yes. So that part of it, you know, there will be some days where your kids don't want to do their schoolwork. That is normal. That is also, that also takes place in traditional school. Just like some days you don't want to go to work or if you're no longer working, some days you don't want to do housework or whatever you do. There are some things you want to do and some things you don't. That is life. So that life lesson is also true in the homeschool area as well. All right, so we're gonna jump on over to the next question. Um, Homeschooling versus unschooling. We got a whole (laughs) podcast on this. (laughs) We did record a podcast (laughs) on this. I guess I'm thinking, you know, that there is a way to almost do both. You know, it's learning. Is, if you see learning as learning and not learning being this prescribed thing that only occurs during this time frame, that only occurs in these particular settings, or, you know, when, when silence is around or something, if you think of learning in the broader sense, even considering yourself, how do you learn things? Even as an adult, we're learning things all the time. We'll watch a video, we'll read an article, uh, go to the library, ask somebody. These are ways we learn things. This is the exact same way our children learn things. They are small humans. 
and they go through the same things we do. They're just not as old as we are. They haven't had as many experiences, I guess, to, you know, teach them better ways to respond to certain stimuli and things of that nature. But as parents, it's our job to guide them and help them to figure these things out. So if you think of learning in a broader sense and just it being very simple and simplistic, it's easy to marry the two where there is instruction of some kind, but it doesn't feel like instruction and they don't think of it as school. They're just living life, which is kind of the philosophy of the unschooling. Unschooling is just, you know, living life. It's child led. If they want to do this, cool. If they don't, if we start something and don't finish it because they lost interest, that's cool. There's a way to bridge yeah the bridge that gap and if you don't want to bridge the gap and you want it to be you know more formal instruction that's okay and if you want it to be loose running through the field that's cool too <laughs> so my my advice is visit um our podcast episode number two because we have an episode called education homeschooling and unschooling. And we really talk about that more in depth. Um, it's really up to you. Both work, both are very good uh, ways to teach your kid. It just depends what works for you as the parent, the primary teacher, and what works for your child. I have a friend who's a blogger that unschools and her kids do the most fantastic stuff. That is um, blogger Ashley from mommy week so if you want to see a brown mama who is a homeschooler who teaches her kids from an unschooling perspective definitely stop by mommy week she is a friend i feel oh, like that's a fair the free child a fair Kilo, the free child a she, Richards. She, yes and she also has advocate. a she has yeah. a podcast and her podcast is fair the free child and we love her podcast we it's do. excellent so um, she talks about unschooling and I love how she approaches it more as self-directed education. Yeah. And that's how I tend to look at it. Um, we, we are eclectic. So we do some things that are considered unschooling and some things that are considered book learning. So, um, well, <laughs> more traditional. So that would fall under, there's so many different models, but we do follow several models. We don't just follow one. And yeah. so, um, but those two moms are two moms that we respect who are teaching their kids from an unschooling perspective. Yeah, and they're doing some pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. <laughs> yes, they are. So what is the next question? Is it possible to combine homeschooling with working part-time? Can you sit homeschooling? Oh, can you split homeschooling or subjects with, ah, I cannot read today. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Is it possible to combine homeschooling with working part-time? 
can you split homeschooling or subjects between the two parents? So this question we also answer in podcast four. What is that? Yes, podcast four and podcast five. And the short answer is yes. Yes. Yes, it's possible to do both. Yes, you can split up the subjects however you see fit. If daddy is more geared towards the math and music, then he can give them math and music. If you're more geared to health and um, science, then you can take care of the health and the science. Um, As long as you both have come to the understanding that we're gonna, we each have our own roles that we're gonna play, it should work out just fine. If you have a full-time job even, part-time job, doesn't matter, you can. Who said that school has to happen between a set time frame? It can be three o'clock in the morning if that's when y'all are up. It could be 12 at midnight if that's when you're awake. Right, so of course it, it can definitely work. It really kind of depends on where you live and what resources are available in your area. In our area, we have supplemental resources that can give parents drop-off opportunities called tutorials and Mm -hmm. co-ops and- There's another word, you're right. There is another one. Tutorials, co-ops. Those are the main two, but they're- They're called community, no, is it community? brain fog. I'll get back to you. Right. So it's really learning the terminology because in our area, because we weren't always calling them tutorials. We were calling them. Well, I mean, there's homeschool groups. Right. A homeschool group. And then there are co-ops. All co-ops are not work the same. Some of them will allow you to drop off your children. Others will be expecting you to stay with your little ones. Um, There are also, I'm not sure what to call them, but it's self-directed education sort of thing, Sudbury schools, Waldorf school kind of thing. Right. Where you can drop them off and they'll... They're like centers where they, they give you educational experiences, but they don't necessarily classify themselves as schools based on funding, logistics, all of that legal stuff. But essentially, they are places where you can drop your kids off and they can take classes. Some of those type of models do require, like with a a co-op, they probably require the parent maybe to teach a subject, to volunteer. There's some sort of way that you're cooperating with that experience. And so understanding what role they expect of you and what role you expect from them is very important to get that um, clear up front, and that's going to help you. But a tutorial in our area is a drop-off program mm-hmm. where someone tutors your child, and they don't call themselves teachers because in our area it's very strict guidelines on who is considered a teacher. But in our area, it's great because the people who are the tutors often are professionals. 
So it's not some random person. It is somebody who has some type of expertise and experience rather than just a volunteer. Yeah, former teachers or parents who have been homeschooling for many years, 10 plus years, um, that sort of professional experience is what you usually will get from a tutorial program. Um, if you are interested in leaving your children, it tends to cost a little bit more money. Right. Drop-off <laughs> so programs if are you more are expensive. trying to be budget conscious, then the ability, having the ability to leave your children is going to cost you. And I'm I'm going to just be a generalizer right now and say in almost any situation, any state, it's probably going to cost you significantly more than a program where you accompany your children. I will say this, that you may be able to skirt around the accompaniment if you buddy with a, another parent, because oftentimes the reason why a co-op wants a parent to stay is because they want to have eyes on the children. They want to make sure that they are not running them up or if they need some help carrying out whatever the task may be, then they have that assistance. So if you buddy up with another parent, you probably would be able to just drop them off or send your kid with the other parent and that would be okay as long as that understanding between you and the parent were there you would have to run that by your co-op but most likely they wouldn't mind because the whole point generally is to have someone who can attend to the child if there are any needs. Right. And also know that you have to understand what type of activity that you may want. So you may not find a group that supplies everything. Like there are groups just for field trips. There are groups just for exercising. Right. There are groups just for academics. So you need to know specifically what is what type of support do I need with this homeschool experience? And then you seek that out and you look for it based on what you want to get out of it. So it does change what you need to Google, but remember, keep co-op in mind. Keep and and when when you see it together like a cooperative, that's the same thing. So some places do call it a cooperative. You have homeschool group, you have tutorials, and those are really the words, some of the words that are used in the homeschool area. And then at other times you can just buy into certain classes. Now homeschool days in your area will exist at bigger establishments like museums and aquariums. <laughs> and just depending on what your city offers, those type of um, corporations may have actual homeschool days where they allow the kids to come in and learn more 
kind of like when Mr. Rogers took his trolley out and was telling the kids <laughs> about how this factory worked, what people did. Now, whole families are going into those factories and seeing how things work, just like we did when we were going on a field trip at school. So. So yes, you can make it work. You can also hire tutors to come into your house and teach your kids lessons to supplement the education. Mm -hmm. And, you and they don't have to actually come into your house if you don't want that. You can have them come into your house via the internet. Yeah, by Skype and um, Zoom. Like there are out a lot school. of ways. So OutSchool is another resource. There are tons of courses in OutSchool that will help students learn whatever subject that you want them to learn. They have Lego classes, all kinds of classes. They have social studies classes. And so you can really make your child's education what you want it to be if you are putting in that research. Now, I will say this, when your kids are very young, I do not recommend that you do a lot of online classes. So I just want to be very clear about that. Little kids, and I'm going to go, I'm going to say from K to second grade, second grade yeah. from K to second grade, they need their hands on. They need to be doing stuff. They need to be going places. Don't put them in some online uh, activities and expect their attention spans yeah. to be fully engaged because <laughs> that's just unrealistic. They're gonna be bored. <laughs> They're gonna right, and you may waste your money. You may waste your money. So for them, you want to look at nature centers. You want to look at places that you can physically go and give them hands-on experiences. So for those of you who feel like, man, this sounds like too much, you may want to look into like a Montessori type of idea if you really think. But I I know that you could probably do it. So don't feel like it's overwhelming because you can hire tutors to support you. And so it depends how, what's your budget. You do need to have a budget. Homeschool's not free, at least in our area. I've heard about people getting stipends from their state in California. So if you what? are in California, big ups to you. <laughs> we are not in California, no. so we do not get some any type of monetary break. Um, but I do know there are there are a couple states where the the families because they have chosen to homeschool they do get money um, towards their children's education. That is I not the case that. in my area. It so I not. we are not the people that are experts in that. But we will definitely try to get at least somebody, one person. Yeah, we'll try to find somebody to talk to you a little bit more about that. But yes, if you are in California. Um, there are there is some money out there for you to receive in order to educate your child well i'm going to throw this in as a bonus answer to your question um it's it can sound overwhelming yes but the younger grades so l was saying k through second you can this makes it sound like it's bad but you can get away with doing a lot less. You can go, like she said, to nature centers. You can go to um, Arboretum. You can go to the Lego store. You can go anywhere, really. Community center, 
there's so many places where you can have museums, you know, a fair, a, for a minimal amount of money that they can get instruction, even though it's, it may not be instruction of what you're thinking, because a lot of times we are projecting our own experiences on education. And so we're thinking eight to three, we're thinking, sit down, shut up, put this pencil in your hand. We're thinking worksheets, you know, we're thinking workbooks. This is what we see in our minds when we think about education, a lot of us. And being able to take yourself out of that and think differently about learning will help you to better reach in a more fun and engaging way your younger learners. I know my son, my oldest son, he is not having any kind of traditional formal education. That is just not going to fly with him. <laughs> I've struggled for a while trying to get the right the right combination of things for him where he will you know thrive and want to take on the information that I'm trying to give him so making it seem lighthearted and fun where they don't even realize that they're learning to count that they're learning to spell that they're learning to read that they're making you know making physics happen it's it's a very it's a very good tool to have knowing how to disguise things so you can look up you know make some slime they love that oh, oh they love that stuff so messy but hey when they're that young expect the mess to come i guess that kind of takes us into our next question which is what are signs that my children are ready to be homeschooled in a more formal setting. Well, does it have to be a formal setting? I think you will know. So if you're, if you're thinking about, and it's also what do you want for your kids? I would say if you crave your kids being able to sit down and their attention span, is held for longer than 15 minutes you have to train your kid to do that like it doesn't just come yeah. and i think for kids who go to a traditional school that's something that is a little bit easier for them because they are required to sit there it's not so easy for our brown little boys to do that and that's why they get in trouble in in class yes, because kids are quick. supposed to be active yes i I'm trying, oh, that's who told me. Okay, I have a family member who is a teacher and she was commenting <laughs> on my children's inability to um, just post up and chill. <laughs> post up and chill. That's how, what I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she said that, in fact, that is the number one problem that 
teachers are having with their incoming kindergartners and some of the pre-K, depending, because in this state, in most of the state, I do believe pre-K is only a income-based thing. They haven't made it um, universal where any four-year-old can go. If you're low income, then you can attend pre-K. But that was what she was telling me was a problem that too many children can't sit still, post up and chill, hold this pencil and do what I'm telling you to do. Well, let's be for real. Should they have to? I don't think they should. They are not robots. <laughs> they four and five years old, really? I'm not saying that they can't do it, but should they have to? So as a parent, that is not an expectation that I ever required for my kids. Even though I feel like because they were little girls, it was a different experience. My little girls kind of did just sit there and listen to me. They did, because I would read to them. I mean, you you remember, I would read to them, we would do activities, and they pretty much... That was them, but I felt like that was more of their personality. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually more of a struggle because they're older um, and they, they're so used to having autonomy. But in the past, I, I didn't have that as an issue. I, I definitely have a background where I did um, help out, you know, with classes and with teachers. So it really is what, what your expectations are and have you trained because it takes some training to get a child to do that. So as a homeschooler, can you train your child to do that? If that is important to you, yes. So my kids, they did. And I know for those of you who go to church, that is another issue. Because when you go to church, it is, that, it is, it is expected that your kid just sit there and listen for more than an hour while the message is delivered. You know, that just made me think. Probably that a lot of the children that come from regular church-going families probably don't have that issue. But children who don't attend events like that probably are the ones that are squirming around in their seats versus those who do frequent regularly. Right, Mm -hmm. because they have had to... They've had to, they've had some encounters where it was expected for them to kind of sit still, um, engage yourself, like, you know, parents that give their kids, and nowadays people give their kids tablets and whatnot, but in, when I was a child, they gave you a piece of paper and a pen, (laughs) or a piece of paper and some crayons, and so in my experience, I actually did I would not always give my kids a device. I would give them a piece of paper sometimes. Did it always work? No, but my kids learned to read at an early age and so they started reading. So that would keep their attention, but they were never really into the whole crayon and color things for a long period of time while you just get to sit there and in a boring service for hours. That that just didn't work. And for me, I also felt like I don't want to push my kid to feel like that's an expectation. So that was not an expectation that I had in my household. And I did not require that for my child because it was not a deal breaker for me. I didn't like sitting still that long as an adult. What you say. (laughs) I agree. But see, that's, I think, um, for us, 
we tend to think in terms of what does that feel like for them? We put ourselves in our children's shoes and we ask, how would we feel if this was what was happening or if this is what someone was asking of us? Or even in our older age, how do we respond to that same sort of situation? Right. A lot of parents don't, well, I shouldn't say a lot of parents. There are parents who may not put themselves in that, sh in that position or don't think, what was I like when I was that age? Or, you know, even as a grown-up, that doesn't sit well with me. So I think having that empathetic response kind of changes the way we handle we parent. our children. Yeah. Right. So when you, when you put your kids in mind, in your mind, and you say, how are they receiving this? Are they, how, you know, from a child's perspective, how are they interacting with this? Is this a positive experience? Like you actually put your kids in mind and make them the center of the experience, so to speak. And I don't think that kids are just little people. I think they bring so many different things to the table and I don't think they should be treated like little adults. So that's yeah, a whole agree. different philosophy. I think they're small humans. They have feelings and thoughts just like we do as adults. They're just smaller right, and so. less experienced, but that doesn't you know, exempt them from having a valid opinion or a uh, um, feelings that should be ignored no we right. need to take these things into consideration because a lot of times they're telling us exactly what they need and they're telling us back to the question they're telling us exactly what they're ready for but it may not be in language that we necessarily are understanding as them letting us know you're not picking to. up the cues you have to observe and just like when your kid is ready to potty train Right. There are some verbal cues that come into play. They're, they're starting to be able to tell you, I'm wet. Mm -hmm. I have to go. You know, you begin to notice their face. They're grimacing. They look uncomfortable. So those same type of cues, you know, you'll be able to see your kids sitting down longer, being able to occupy themselves. Asking and different kinds of questions. questions. Right. And so those things help you in... It in, those are indicators that it is time for some more rigid or more um, detailed routine detail. type of activities. Routine, I like that. Yes. And so you want, but you have to set that structure up for your child to and and pay attention. So when you go to a museum, at first, when your kid isn't ready, they're going to be all over the place. But as the time comes and you go to more experiences, they're going to be like, oh, well, I see this. This is cool. They may start pointing to things. And really, it's about exposing your child and teaching your child how to um, interact with certain things. So it is some sort of guidance there that's important. So this is the last question that we're going to actually answer, answer for this call. And we will answer some more um, not call, but in podcast, a future podcast. Yes, yes, in this episode. But we definitely want you to look back at our past episodes because many of these things we actually did talk about. And as you can see, we were really passionate about them yes. because we love the babies. We do.
We do. And we, we feel like education should be fun because it's really it's setting that foundation for your entire life. So if yeah. you get if you get this, if you get your kid in a position where he or she is willing to learn, you set your child up for life. Yeah, they will be successful whatever because they like finding new information. It's it's fun. It's fun. Okay, so the last question is, is it possible to homeschool a full curriculum in less than a 5-day school week? Does that make sense? A five yes. Day okay. A five-day school day. So okay. do you need do you need to use five days to teach a whole curriculum? Especially no. in those early years, no. <laughs> so what you will learn is for your little bitty kids who are five and six, yeah, their attention two or three span hours is long enough. Yes, and their attention span rare, is know. about 10 minutes. Yeah. So each lesson needs to be about 10 minutes long and right. make sure that you include some hands on experiences because they don't want to just be talked at. So right. like when you're in college and your teacher just stood up there and lectured, that is not for your, your elementary school students. And it probably wasn't for you either. You <laughs> twiddling your thumbs and tinking with the pencil and pen. I mean, I guess you can be, and I'm, I guess you can and should be an active learner, listener, excuse me, and taking notes or whatever you need to do so that you're absorbing the material. But let's be for real, that's kind of dull in most instances, unless this is just, you know, a phenomenal lecturer and they just, you know, turned it into something that felt nothing like a lecture. I cannot say that I have ever come across any of those in my life. But <laughs> no, but but here's the thing. You need to tap into your inner kid. When your kids are yes. young, tap into that youthful side of you, get down on their level, and you're learning along with them. Sure, you've already mastered kindergarten, but you need to learn how to imagine. Be silly, be creative, be loud, be move, get up, turn your body into a seat. So use the, all of you, engage. So when we think about like Mrs. Frizzle, she was a little cuckoo. But if you want to be a good teacher for your kids, you got to be a little, a little weird. I'm weird and I'm okay with it. I've embraced it because it has helped my kids be <laughs> engaged and excited. And it's made me tap into my inner kid and love them more. So I feel like that's, that's very important. Yes, you can do it in less than five five days you, you can, can do, do it, it in less three. than five hours a week i mean i'm saying that's five hours a week well maybe it all depends on what how quickly your kids are picking yeah. it up too yeah. so you have to have clear goals what are your goals that you're going to try to teach them mm -hmm. and what is it that you expect i would say if you want to start supplementing while your kid is Firstborn, you can start reading to that kid. You can start talking about colors. There is no age to start saying, hey, the picture we have, you know, our TV is a, is a rectangle. Whatever it is, you bring that to the table and you start teaching them. The moment you interact with your child, everything is a teaching moment. Yeah, they're learning from the time they first hit the air. They're learning who you are. They're learning what their home is. They're learning their role within the home. I mean, look, there are cultures where they don't start formal education until they're seven or eight years old. And all the time leading up to that, they are learning their place in society. They're learning how to, how to be, you know, what's right, what's wrong, 
how to respect, how to receive respect, you know, just basic, basic life principles sort of thing. And then by the time they're seven or eight, then they start to receive more formal education, more um, arithmetics and science and all these other kinds of things. But I can imagine that a lot of these subjects are intermingled in just living because you get water every day. That's science. You know, you wash your hands. That's health. It's, you know, so there's all these things that we don't necessarily think of as learning. Oh, this is just what we do every day. Yeah, but it's still a learning experience and they're soaking these things up. So Right. And the more planning you do in advance, so if you set up your objectives and say, this is what we want to cover, the more you'll be able to gauge that and say, if you're just winging it, winging it takes you longer, to be honest. If you have actual goals that you want to accomplish, but if you say, this is what I want to do, and you knock that out, then you'll have more free time. But because you're not in a class full of kids and you you only have, you know, however many kids you have, that actually is, is gonna take less time because yeah. you will be able to give the one-on-one -on -one interaction and teach them these things. And because they've been learning from you since birth, the next steps aren't so hard. Yeah, preparation is um, key, especially if you're, especially when they're older, I should say. Preparation is key when they're older and you have a full-time or part-time job or if you are trying to use three days a week, two days a week, four days a week, and not five days a week. Um, you know, it just kind of changes your, your scheduling of activities and lessons. So right. you just have to be, you know, prepared for that. So it doesn't have to be, you know, five o'clock this, Four o'clock that. Some days it will be because, you know, you got to leave the house and do whatever it is. But it, it can definitely work. I knew a nurse that was homeschooling her child and she worked three days a week, sometimes four days a week. And things were moving just fine. Right. And there was a dental hygienist that I knew who homeschooled her children as well. And she was successful at it. Her kids learned and grew and so it worked and don't forget we talked about tutors that you could bring in mm -hmm. um, to make it work as well so it's there are multiple models to making homeschool work and so hopefully by answering these questions we were able to give you guys suggestions ideas tools and just language that you may need to make it happen and so if you have additional questions please feel free to reach out to us and let us know. And we hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, not one friend, not two friends, but as many friends as you can. Please. All right.